He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney. He is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, January 13, 2024. Special guest, Ben Maicellis, enters Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, and I could not be more thrilled. It's a fascinating interview. We will get right to it. But first, hear Jimmy Kimmel talk about Ben Maicellis and Adam Kinzinger and the fact that Donald Trump apparently smells Smells bad. Doesn't smell good. Ben Maicellis was with Joe Biden down in Pueblo, Colorado. They were talking about our Bobo, Lauren, 1776 Bobert. When Joe Biden came to Colorado, he wanted to bring the right media. People who have a big audience, and that includes Ben Maicellis, who is making a big difference in the pro-democracy movement. Jimmy Kimmel took notice, and as he reviewed Jeffrey Epstein and the revelations about who was close to him, he displayed the many pictures of Donald Trump and Jeffrey Epstein, and my God, look at the smiles on their faces as they reviewed the array of young women in front of them, and they told jokes, and I've never seen Donald Trump really laugh or smile like that, and Epstein cackled with him. This is back in the day when those two hung out, and Jimmy Kimmel is upset at Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers insinuated that Jimmy Kimmel, who supported vaccinations, would be on the Epstein list, which of course he wasn't. And then Jimmy Kimmel took off after Aaron Golden said, if you really care about who's on the list with Epstein, it's this guy, Trump. And beyond Trump, well, there's the fact that Ben Micellis has brilliantly demonstrated that apparently Donald Trump stinks. I mean, we all know he stinks as president, but I mean, physically he stinks. Here's the game plan. Our show Troubadour brings his beautiful music at the end of the show. Come on in my kitchen is a beautiful song. And we talk about Roger Stone as I do with Ben Maicellis, Roger Stone, back in the news. Subject to my episode 156, I got to interview the man quite a while ago. Dave Gunders and I talk about the Arctic cold about to descend on the NFL playoffs and the Iowa caucuses. We'll get back to Ben Maicellis, who represented Colin Kaepernick. Wait till you hear that story with the Colorado component involving... Number seven, John Elway. Ever heard of him? So listen to Jimmy Kimmel and then the ad for Michael Bailey, followed by Ben Maicellis and Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, followed by our show troubadour Dave Gunders with more conversation and his beautiful song, Come On In My Kitchen. Thank you for listening. Tell a friend, subscribe, share. Every Saturday morning, we drop a new episode, 9 a.m., Colorado time. It doesn't get better than Ben Maicellis. 
Mazel tov to him and the whole Midas Touch crew for being recognized on Jimmy Kimmel Live. Enjoy. If you are a member of a group that think it's okay to randomly call someone a child molester because you don't like what that person has to say, maybe you should rethink being a part of that group. And I also want to say congratulations to Aaron Rodgers, who has done the impossible. He made the New York Jets look even worse. (laughs) And by the way, are you looking for someone who actually was a friend of Jeffrey Epstein, who called him a terrific guy and bragged about his affinity for younger women? I have very good news, Epstein Hunters. I found one for you. There you go. Just two fun guys checking out the ladies. Nothing unsavory there. <laughs> Meanwhile, Trump is getting more extreme and more erratic every day over the break. Uh, I don't know if you saw, he mocked uh, the late Senator John McCain's physical dis- disability, the one he suffered when he was a prisoner of war. He told families who were grieving about a school shooting in Iowa to get over it the day after it happened. And less importantly, but more amusingly, former Republican Congressman Adam Kinziger says Donald Trump smells. Let's just start with your post, the odor, the stench, the stink. How bad is it? What do you know about that? Yeah, I mean, it's not good. I mean, think about uh, the best way to describe it. I've tried to like, so take like armpits, ketchup, uh, like a butt and kind of put it in a blender and makeup and put that all in a blender. And that's and and you bottle that as a cologne. That's kind of that. Now we know why Melania is always making that face. Gosh, it's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. (laughs) Now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, instead of a knucklehead, who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig, 303-734-7156. 
303-734-7156. I am Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Oh my gosh, am I ever thrilled to welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, Ben Micellis. I admire this guy primarily as an attorney. I think he's so damn smart, but what a communicator. He's had an amazing career before he got involved in the pro-democracy movement, and he's a general in that movement. He's a leader. He was on Jimmy Kimmel, for God's sake, this week. He's trending on Twitter all the time. He's Ben Maicelis. Welcome to the lounge. It's great to be here, Craig. I appreciate it. And uh, I've been listening to a lot of your shows for some time now, and uh, it's, it's great to be on. Well, you're Hollywood handsome, as you proved on Kimmel. How has that changed your life? Oh, it's completely different. Uh, before Kimmel, I was a totally different person. And now, uh, you know, if, if, if you want to talk to me, you've got to set up meeting times. And no, it, it hasn't changed anything. It was funny to see myself on Kimmel. Um, but I think what's really important is just kind of getting the message out and not being reliant on all types of legacy media or old school media or whatever, or whatever you call it. It's, it's great to be recognized on a show like that. But, you know, my whole thesis is, is that uh, if you build it, they will come. And we had to build a, a new form of media from the ground up um, that, that really focused on building a community of people who recognize that the silent majority in the United States of America is the pro-democracy movement. Um, and it's important for us to connect and communicate with each other and recognize that uh, that we're out there and, and have our voices heard. Kimmel is great. And I watch him all the time. And now I'm starting to watch him like everybody else on YouTube. But our algorithms keep bringing us you and your brothers, you and Popak and Karen Friedman Agnafilo, the smartest group of podcasts in the world, you are dominating the screens. And I mean, my wife, it's unbelievable. You are growing exponentially. Tell everybody about YouTube and the Midas Touch Network. I just joined on Patreon because I think you guys are doing God's work and uh, really America's work, let me put it that way. And so how big are you guys? And the arrow's going up. We have the momentum, don't we? I know we have the momentum. I've always felt we have the momentum. And where we have to push back against our contrived narratives that don't comport with the data. And as a litigator, data, evidence, admissible evidence has always been what's very important to me when I was a practicing lawyer. And I started recognizing that, you know, outside of the courtroom where admissibility is important, those same rules don't apply in the court of public opinion, where you could say anything and propaganda so pervasive. And so right around the January 6th insurrection time period, you know, we, we, we weren't really sure what direction we were going to be taking 
uh, Midas Touch. We we were we had a, a radio show on Sirius um, on the Sirius Progressive Network, but I don't think the the label of kind of purely progressive was was meeting the moment either. Although my views and values probably line up with things that are traditionally viewed in that context, but. My, my, my views, I thought, were more pro-democracy and framing things as progressive and liberal versus conservative and viewing MAGA as conservative was something that, to me, just didn't make any sense at all. So I felt like we had to, um, you know, build something. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it we, we, we took us a little bit of time to hear back from Sirius about what direction they wanted to take the show in. And so we just were like, we're just going to start building our own media network. And so that's, that's what we did. We just started, um, you know, slowly, but surely on, on YouTube and taking control and ownership of our own podcasts and taking control of, of, of the entire direction of everything that we were doing. And, and we built it bit by bit. And, you know, right now, um, we have about close to 2 million subs on our YouTube channel. Um, you know, there are some months where we're doing about 250 million views on YouTube videos every single month, which puts us sometimes, you know, at the very top of all YouTube views across our videos, across all categories, um, which tells me there's a big audience for this type of content. And we also wanted to kind of setting aside the views just to kind of rethink and restructure the way um, news is presented. And so, you know, in a normal cable news cycle of 24 hour news, there's there may be 10 stories of the day that are repeated over and over again. Sometimes it's usually less three to five stories that are repeated over and over again, but not repeated with a degree of kind of detail and getting into the facts and getting into the filings and getting into what everybody's saying, you know, the typical format is, okay, put on someone who represents one side of the issue, find someone who represents the other side of the issue, let them fight with each other and just kind of yell at each other and call each other idiots and then end it. And then the viewers left like, what is, what is it that I even watched? So our whole format from the outset was, why don't we do 12 videos a day? Some days one live show, some days two live shows, some days three live shows. But on average, one to two live shows plus 12 what we call hot takes or duets that are about 12 to 15 minutes in length. And let's take an issue with all the detail in the world. And will people want to hear the nuts and bolts and specifics and court filings? And I think the prevailing view among kind of you know legacy media if you will was no people don't want to hear about that they want you know uh they want the performance and the theater and the shouting and i think what we've demonstrated is actually no people want the info they want the news they really want to hear what's going on and that's how we built how we've built it conceptually with all of the hosts that are on the network and then finally we focused so much on the community and so much on the people who have built the network. And normally, you know, with media networks, 
especially right-wing media, it's very ego-driven. Me, 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 me. Look at me. Look what I'm doing. And for us, we always give it back to the community and say, here's what the community is saying. Here's what the, we call them the mighty, they call themselves the Midas Mighty's doing. And, and then it, we kind of crowdsource the data and the info and aggregate it into what's the Midas Touch Network. Long-winded answer, but that's, that's the philosophy I that's know. built. It was that's great. Built it. Yeah, it was great, but with a lot of pronouns. Who are you talking about when you say we? I'm assuming your talented brothers, Brett and Jordy, but is there more than that? Tell us about your upbringing, the Midas name. It's a play on your Myacella's name. Where did you grow up? How did you get to be so smart? Well, I uh, I don't think I appreciate the compliment, but uh, um, I, I I never thought of myself in those terms, and and frankly, still don't. I think of myself as someone who's curious and who's a who's a hard worker, um, and I really want to find the the data and try to understand things and ask a lot of questions. I, I, I grew up in Long Island, New York. I went to undergrad GW law school. I went to Georgetown. I was a civil rights litigator um, out of Georgetown working for uh, Garagos and Garagos in LA, worked for um, Mark Garagos, but the partner who brought me into the civil rights side is now a judge, Judge Shelley Kaufman, um, and she would do all the civil rights cases. So then I kind of got thrown into doing a lot of these cases in Bakersfield, California, and Kern County, um, where they had the highest police shooting deaths per capita in the entire nation at that time when I was doing the cases there. And as the young associate, I got the, uh, I got, I picked the straw that always sent me to Bakersfield coincidentally, every time we did it to, uh, to go to Bakersfield. Um, but I, I ended up meeting all the families out there and, you know, when you lose a loved one, uh, to, uh, any type of kind of, incident involving the government, whether it's a shooting death, an excessive force, an in-custody death, or, or anything like that. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican. It doesn't matter if you're an independent, what you care about. And I had clients who spanned all categories. Um, what they cared about is transparency and getting answers. And so I spent a lot of my career doing uh, cases like that. Um, then I linked up with uh, Colin Kaepernick because he saw the types of cases I was doing in Bakersfield and Kern County, you know, when, when he took a knee and, um, and he was not uh, getting any calls from any teams uh, thereafter. So I represented, I represented Kaepernick in his case against uh, uh, the NFL and then I started finding. Wait, wait, no, let's not just blow by that because you <laughs> sued the NFL and you won big time, right? Well, it, it was a, um, you know, in terms of the outcome and the results, I have to keep that confidential. But the, but, but the way the and you the got Netflix the, specials. Can we talk about you taking a deposition of John Elway in a little place called Denver, Colorado? I, I took that depot as part of the uh, as part of the discovery process, but the case was brought in the form of a, of a grievance. Um, you know, one of the things I found interesting is 
you know, how it actually, the context of what Colin did, even from kind of his silent protest, you want to talk about real peaceful and patriotic. I could think of nothing more peaceful and patriotic <laughs> than the way he went about it, as confirmed by other people in the military, you know, who, who, who have said so. But then even the way the litigation was brought, if you will, was done as a grievance invoking his employment rights under the collective bargaining agreement, Article 17, and that enabled uh, discovery to take place. And, and ultimately, that's you know, where I found myself in, in Denver at, the, at that beautiful practice facility there. And well, I can't get into the specifics of taking the deposition of John Elway, um, I, I, I've been to... I've been to that facility twice now for a deposition and a trial on the Kaepernick case and then a little bit later in my career on the uh, the Juwan James injury grievance. Against the Broncos, right? Against the Broncos. They, they, you know, it was yeah. a very interesting issue where uh, he had a guaranteed contract, a football, guaranteed football contract for um, injury uh, cap um, and... Uh, but the guarantee only applies if you get injured and it's like a football related injury. So if he was, you know, hiking or jet skiing, you, you obviously wouldn't get, um, you know, your guarantee doesn't apply to those types of injuries. Um, but he got injured at a practice facility down the block from the Broncos facility. Hmm. And and so the question became, does that constitute a football related injury for purposes of the of the guarantee? So anyway, that, yeah, the, no, did the, you the, see? The, yeah, the Arapahoe County Courthouse is right there. I'm there all the time. But I'm wondering about your sports affiliations with Colin Kaepernick. He was a huge basketball guy. When I think about Long Island, before your time, when I was in college. The, the New York Nets out of Long Island, I think they were playing with Julius Irving, broke our heart, but we recovered with our nuggets. What about you? Do you love sports? Do you even have time for it anymore? Well, I'm a sports law professor um, at USC. And so one of the ways, even though I um, don't practice as much as I used to because Midas has become a full-time a full-time commitment, as 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 you can imagine, um, I, I still wanted to impart the knowledge I learned when I practiced um, and did these high-profile cases. So every you know the 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 fall semester I teach law students, the spring semester I have a big undergraduate course that I teach twice a week um, at, at at USC in the in the Gould School and. Um, just absolutely, I, I love te- you know I, I love teaching, and I love also that um, Midas Touch and doing the videos and running the network and having a team of really talented people does also give me the ability, which I would not have as a litigator, because as you know, as a litigator, if I got an ex parte hearing or if I got you know some emergency deposition, I can't teach. Um, because I had to show up somewhere and, and I would, you know, back in the day when I was right. litigating, I'd be doing depositions every day. But like my passion is kind of teaching and Midas touch and, and dispute resolution 
because as a litigator, I found there to be so many areas where litigation could have been avoided or where there could have been better lawyering or where there could have been just better human interactions with each other. And that to me was always the part of law that I like more than sending nasty emails and getting into fights with other people, you know, all, all day. So, and, and, and that to me applies with kind of the Midas Touch Network where a lot of our central message isn't, yes, we're a political network, sure, but like w- over time as I was, you know, because I was, yeah, I, I interned on Capitol Hill. I, I, I did that kind of stuff when I went to undergrad, but I wasn't like a political guy until COVID, until 2020 where I was really watching these press conferences that Trump was holding. So I was trying to find my footing of like, okay, there are all these labels out here. Do I fit a label? Am I this? Am I that? I I truly didn't know. Um, But then over time, the way I wanted to frame it is, I don't, I think those labels are barriers to what I'm really trying to say. And what I'm really trying to say is I just want normalcy. Like, that's what I'm looking for. I want, I want normalcy and I want pro-democracy. And if you are a true conservative, like an, an actual mainstream Republican who is, you know, willing to engage on ideas and not have this kind of strange, weird MAGA cult thing, independents, liberals, progressives, all of us, let's, let's come together and be like, okay, there are just some things that... transcend these labels and and, and ultimately kind of developing that new language and that new framework is something that I gravitated to. And that's really been the, where, where Midas touch hit its stride is when we connected with so many people who felt that same way. Like, I just want people to be normal. Like, like, like I feel like I'm being gaslighted. Like this is some, crazy stuff that i'm seeing in this maga movement like they're talking about technologically advanced mermaids and water people taking over at the trump doral like like this isn't normal why why is the media talking about this like this is conservative you got donald trump saying he wants to break away from nato you've got donald trump praising kim john no, and love letters right it's, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir and let me tell you why we have momentum one because politics is easy now i've been stuck in the middle as an independent forever but it's now down to maga or opposition to maga i'm part of opposition to maga i think that's what you're talking about it you could say we're pro democracy against maga which led an insurrection, and it's been proved. It got proved in Denver District Court. But I want to dig into Ben Micellis because you are a rare talent, and you do bring people together. Every show, you are the central lever because you are the voice of moderation. You take hard positions, but your tone is always just superb and you moderate things and you're constructive you're always trying to be constructive you let your frustration show but you have a rare skill that uh, i can see working great for you as a lawyer obviously you're so successful but 
Where did you get that? We know about Jordy and Brett, and you kind of take that role with your brothers too. Uh, tell everybody about the family dynamics. How did you get to be such a problem solver? Well, you know, I, I'm the oldest child. Uh, and by the way, I appreciate everything that you're that, 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 that you're saying. I I I don't what I I like to just think about myself as a problem solver, and everything you're saying is is is, is just super nice. I want to just want to let you know that. But um, I'm the oldest of I'm the oldest of uh, three, um, and we and and we have a younger sister, so the oldest of four. I got Brett, uh, Jordy, and then we have a younger sister, Rachel, who actually goes to. USC, so a future, uh, a, a future Midas touch, uh, future Midas touch host maybe down the road, and she's in the music program there. Um, but but kind of growing up with the brothers, we used to always love doing um, uh, in the early days of like Adobe editing. I'd love to make like music videos with my brothers, like growing up and. We love to like use technology and edit videos, and so we, we always kind of did that together. Um, and then Brett, the middle brother, is like the super tech savvy. Like he took what I was doing editing, which I can't even edit anymore, but he took that and became like one of the top editors in general. Like he was the the main digital editor for the Ellen Show when they had to cut those like really quick pieces. And he would run the Ellen Digital, so all like the Ellen YouTube channel stuff. So he was very familiar with YouTube and the format and cutting quick videos. And he's also very musically talented and, and just kind of gifted in anything you can kind of pick up and do that. You know, and I think Jordy, our youngest brothers, the marketing brains, um, the kind of empathy, uh, sensitive in a good way. Um, and always, but like very, um, very engaging with our audience and always reminding us, even when we started that this is never about us. It's always about the community. And I'm talking about when there were like 10 people following us. Like if you go back to Midas touch, didn't even exist as of March of 2020. So as of this time, 2020, there, not only did it not exist, it wasn't even a thought in our mind that we were ever going to build anything like this at all, ever. And um, But it hinges, so it hinges on your mad legal skills. And since we're in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, did you have lawyers in your family? How long, how old were you when you decided, hey, I, I want to be a lawyer? Um, so both my parents are lawyers, but uh, but that didn't persuade me to be a lawyer. In fact, my dad told me originally, "Hey, you know, you, you sure you want to be a lawyer?" Um, and and ultimately, one of the reasons why I even went to law, law school in the first place, and why I went to why I went to Georgetown in the first place, you know, was kind of kind of the story of like I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I mean, I was. I enjoyed being a public speaker. I enjoy. I enjoyed writing speeches, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I, I just kind of went to Georgetown Law, not knowing I was gonna just love it so much. But within within by year two, I just absolutely loved the law, and I knew I wanted to be a lawyer who was, uh, you know, at that point in court. 
But then a lot of my influences as a lawyer, which I think um, helps inform a lot of the things that I do, is is kind of just taking the best of a lot of people I was around. I mean, you know, I I learned under Mark Garagos, um, you know, one of the top trial lawyers and, and criminal defense lawyers in California, who just threw me into trials and cases, you know, right away. You know, and 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 Mark's just a, a super aggressive lawyer. You know, as like a pit bull lawyer. You know, in California, like an old school pit bull lawyer from California. You know, which I loved. You know, but 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 a lot of the things that I like too is I was always kind of developed a role in the practice as kind of being the the, the other side of the equation where Mark was the aggressive one. I was kind of the one who wanted to like reach a resolution and an agreement. And I came in contact with a lot of great mediators um, along the way. And, you know, everybody from to those in the legal lounge may know these names. Uh, Tony Piazza, an incredible mediator uh, who was one of the, the, the kind of godfathers, if you will, of, of the mediation practice. He's got a great practice in San Francisco and lives on Hawaii. Um, Judge Dickron Tavrizian, who's over at JAMS Mediation, former federal judge. Um, judge Peter Lichman, um, f- formerly ran the complex division of L.A. Superior Court. Um, and, and, and these mediators, like in addition to Mark, kind of took me under their wings. And I learned so much from them about mediation and dispute resolution. And that was that was kind of what I loved most about the practice. And so when I view what I'm doing in Midas, I actually view it from a kind of a conflict dispute resolution problem solving standpoint. And and to your point, when I conduct these interviews, when I, you know, whatever show it is, whether it's the show I do, do with Michael Popak Legal AF, the show I do with my brothers, um, the Midas Touch podcast show, the show I do with Michael Cohen, Political Beatdown, I always want to kind of create the structure and then allow their personalities to, to be their best selves on the shows as well and highlight, and highlight them and, and, and just help, help get the data out there. That is fantastic. Let me make a prediction about how you performed in law school, because I, too, had a father who was a lawyer, and his father was a Denver lawyer, and my big brother was a lawyer, but they didn't really interest me with real estate law or whatever, and I went to law school on the theory of, hey, I'm not sure what I want to do, but I really got turned on by a couple of classes. I like criminal criminal law and criminal procedure and I really liked learning about evidence and, and the rules of civil procedure, too. I bet you got turned on by these procedural rules because you're so smart at it. You explain it so well. And I bet you excelled and enjoyed constitutional law. A lot of people talk about the Constitution. We actually studied it in law school, right? And you have a passion for our founding document. Did I make a good guess? I think you made a great guess, and I'll, I'll even go deeper than that because, yes, but the class I liked the most was administrative procedure, and the, cl- and the class was taught by a professor, an adjunct named Glenn Nager, and Glenn is still, 
He's the chair of the Supreme Court practice over at Jones Day. Um, and uh, a, a conservative guy in the mold of a Sandra Day O'Connor, um, and clerked for, for clerked for Justice O'Connor, and he was the lawyer who argued the Ledbetter uh, decision and 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 a bunch of others and a bunch of other outcomes that I don't even necessarily agree with, but it, it was the, it was the most challenging and rigorous course. Um, I remember his seven hour final where he would create all of these administrative agencies and laws and ask you to kind of do a deep dive. But I did, I, I, I liked the rules. I liked the structure. I liked the application of the rules. I love civil procedure. I loved constitutional law at a very kind of granular level. And when I do these videos on, on Midas Touch, I, 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 there are some good YouTube legal analysis out there, but there's not, there's not a lot, not a lot. And so what was, there was really a void I saw there because there's like a lot of people who say things that are just so, so blatantly wrong you know, like just on the facts and like the cases and get procedure wrong. And it would be so frustrating to even watch some of the stuff on YouTube. So just kind of getting into the groove of like imparting both what the law is, but also a love of the law and letting people know in, in terms that are not necessarily so legalese, why the system's working or why the system's not working, but letting people understand it from a, a data-driven way and not just based on a feeling or a gut. I, I, I'll give you an example. For whatever, you know, there were, there were two instances that stand out a lot right now. Number one, there were so many people who, for reasons that were completely unclear to me, despised Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg and thought that Alvin Bragg was covering for Donald Trump and was not doing anything. And like there was this narrative out there. And we had Alvin Bragg sit for an interview with Karen Friedman Agnifilo, who's a host on our network. And she was the number two at the Manhattan District Attorney's office under Cy Vance before before Alvin Bragg. And she was doing this methodical interview with Bragg. And I saw these comments that were kind of coming in that were basically like you, you would think that she was interviewing Alina Habba or somebody like, like, you know, or, 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 or worse. It was like, it was like, he's in on it. It's, you know, and it became clear to me that these people who are watching this, they're not just saying that they're getting this data from somewhere that was so incongruent to just the facts of what was happening that Manhattan district attorney Alvin Bragg in a worksman like way was, going about this investigation and in a country where there are a lot of democratic district attorneys out there he seemed to be the first person who was going to indict donald trump that's what the facts were showing so we made a concerted effort just to push back we didn't we didn't lean in on like those statements we said no no look here's what's happening here and, and here's why that's why that's different than what you think and the community understood that, and then I think public sentiment started changing, and it was the same thing when Jack Smith was appointed by Merrick Garland. Everybody was like, oh, this is just, uh, 
you know, this is just Mueller 2.0 and Jack Smith isn't going to do anything. And then once again, Karen Friedman Agnifilo worked with Jack Smith. Jack Smith worked at the district attorney's office. So we asked, what was it like to work with this guy? Who is this guy? And she's like, he wouldn't take this job if he wasn't going to look at it from a perspective of being aggressive. And ultimately, if the facts lead to, you know, an indictment, he would never take such a job. He would never take this position um, if he thought that he was going to be overruled and come back from The Hague after all of that. So there was a way to place the data in its in its appropriate place. And I think that's that's what the audience likes to watch. And I think that's what they um, you know, you know, it's it's the trust that you build with them that's really forged the heart of the network. It's it's built on trust and community. And that's why it, it may seem easy to to copy, but to really replicate it is is hard because it's 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 trust and community that takes every single day painstaking attention and compassion and empathy to what people are going through. I admire Jack Smith. His background is a state prosecutor in a big city, him in New York, me in Denver. He prosecuted a death penalty case, vicious murder of two cops out in Staten Island, uh, horrible. And he, he did great things as a Fed. And let me tell you, to represent prosecutors, you could not pick somebody better or smarter than Karen. She's a genius, and so is that guy, Michael Popak. That had to be, let me guess, a Ben Myasellis decision to bring on those two. Holy cow, can you hire the right people? Well, I know both of them from from my life, right? So, you know, part of part of one of the things that I am, you know, so proud of is coming into contact with all these great intelligent people. And I think that as I'm able to build this platform, you can kind of go in different directions. Like you can kind of go and look for who's out there, who's already doing it and try to hire people or or, or, or look to bring on people or partner with people who already have been doing it in uh, in the capacity of the major networks or whatever you know but but one of the things that kind of interested me and fascinated me is that i knew there were all these great people from my life who who hadn't been necessarily doing that routine yet right and so like like popak i had worked with when i was a plaintiff's lawyer and he was a deputy general counsel at a big Wall Street financial company. And he and I became good friends through being on opposite sides of, of a case. And and Karen Friedman Agnifilo, I met as well when she left the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. And she was kind of working in an of counsel capacity at my law firm. And I just absolutely adored her and, and, and thought that she's incre- incredible, like the, the most brilliant person I've ever met. And the way she thinks about issues is so complex, but also it's rooted in that same passion for justice. And so it was just such a a natural, it was such a natural connection there as well. And that's kind of how we've brought on a lot of our hosts and creators. You know, you know, they've been people who I've known through my 
interesting journey from kind of litigator to to deal maker where I was where I ended up not only just kind of litigating the case for Colin, but then I became Colin's, you know, deal maker, you know, in his Nike deals. And I was Colin's deal maker in his in his deal with his big deal with Disney and, you know, working in his nonprofit. But I, I kind of took all of the different people who I've kind of come across. And there are a lot of the hosts who are on the network today. And other than that, it's 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 a lot of people who are thriving, let's say, on you know, who give great analysis, let's say on TikTok or some of these other platforms where I, where I, I, I could see, I like their work and I go, Hey, you know, if you're on TikTok and you're doing that, you know, you know, for free, what, why, why, why don't you do it over here? And, and, and we'll pay you for it. We'll pay you for the same work. Um, and this way you can start turning your incredible viral ability into into a living and that's kind of how we built this network by incentivizing creators you know to to, to also make money as, as they should which they weren't before on their incredible talents fighting for democracy well it's a big business now but i know you're not in it to make money but that's part of it i'm told by the younger generation that when you get up toward about two million on youtube that's some serious monetization i know you have to pay a lot of people but you got my 54 dollars today on patreon <laughs> and let me tell you my calculation honestly i'm thinking god forbid donald trump wins he's going to put you out of business he might even try to do it before the election because you are hurting him you are a major player. So I did my calculation. Okay, it's mid-January. God forbid he wins. He won't even have the power to knock you out within the next year. We're safe as year-long <laughs> subscribers. I mean, we're laughing about it, but we do have that future. And let me tell you about the genius of Ben Myselis. He takes complicated things and he boils it down to two words. Like uh, on the Colorado Supreme Court, case, he gives his prediction, and he boils it down to constitutional avoidance, and we will get there. But first, I like the way you boil it down to, what do you say, fascist idiocracy? What are the two concepts you you put on MAGA? Oh, I, I, I say that MAGA equals fascism plus idiocracy, and we should be grateful right now that the idiocracy vastly exceeds their ability currently for the moment to implement their fascist designs but you know that could change right it's and, that uh, fascist <laughs> part that's got us all worried i mean it's as serious as a heart attack 2024 is the year of consequence right if you're not all in this year what are you waiting for and that's why in many ways we may have thought that what we were building was for 2020 but in actuality, we were building for this moment in 2024 because now we have this infrastructure that's built with, you know, we have, um, you know, a, an editorial team led by Ron Filipkowski uh, as our editor in chief at uh, MidasTouch.com um, that breaks incredible news stories every single day. You know, we have a digital editor named. Uh, ASIN, who puts out all of those 
incredible clips that you see from all of the hearings every day that all the media relies on kind of ASIN's works uh, on, on the various social media platforms where he clips those perfect 45 second to two minute clips. You know, we've got everybody from uh, uh, across the board on an editorial team, you know, and then we've got the, you know, the, the YouTube channel that's thriving with these lives that end up being, you know, number usually the top three in the world of all like things on YouTube during the times when the show's when the shows are on and you know you got people watching this network now at the same type of numbers of you know msnbc fox and and cnn as a digital platform but then you have to say so what if it doesn't further an advanced democracy it it, it, it is it is important then to harness the power of a community to engage in action and to take steps. And that's, again, the most important part about this. And as, as I always say, whenever I, um, you know, whenever people say, hey, Ben, are you preaching to the choir? Are you preaching to the choir? And I say in response, let me ask you this. Do you think Fox is preaching to the choir? And inevitably, I say, raise your hand if you think Fox preaches to the choir. Everybody will raise their hand and say, yeah, Fox is preaching to their choir. I go, do you think Fox is incredibly powerful? Would you say it's one of the most powerful forces right now out there, you know, in, in politics? And everybody says yes. I go, so if you think that they preach to the choir and they're the most powerful, why, are you a, why, why is one of your criticisms that someone else is preaching to the choir and building that choir to sing louder than the other choir? But then I say, we don't preach to the choir, though. That's not even what we do. I said, th th there are there are so many people who engage with our network who are former Republicans or current Republicans, but not MAGA, independents and not affiliated, as well as, you know, liberals, progressives, et cetera. And, and, and that to me is 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 where is where most Americans are at. I think you said that at the beginning of this interview. That's also why I feel confident about this. It's just though we, we just got to get the data and the accurate information out to the American people. It's such a big sprawling story, the big lie and insurrection. I don't know how you keep your arms around it all. I try to keep track of the Colorado components and they're really pretty large, especially with this 14th Amendment Article 3 case out of my home court, Denver District Court. I went to the trial. I think Cash Patel uh, perjured himself. If you look at Judge Wallace's findings, Judge Wallace uh, decided to give Donald Trump an out, but our Colorado Supreme Court said four to three. No, it was an insurrection. He is disqualified. I hinted at your brilliant analysis. I think it's a good guess, but I'm hoping that maybe we'll get the right ruling. You talk about constitutional avoidance Show off your legal skills right here. Explain what you think the U.S. Supreme Court will do. I think anyway, the Supreme Court can try to avoid making a fundamental decision on the Constitution they will, they will try to do. And so I think, unfortunately, as it relates to the 14th Amendment, Section 3, 
if they came up with some technicality or some reason why they don't have to reach at this stage the 14th Amendment Section 3 issue. For, for example, they can say, well, the Secretary of State already put Trump on the primary uh, ballot and based on something that we, you know that they refer to as the Purcell principle, we're getting very close to an election and we don't want to be the ones to kind of step in right now, but we'll address the broader issues of 14th Amendment Section 3 after uh, you know, a, a, a after the election or come up with some way not to have to basically say what they should say, which is Donald Trump engaged in insurrection and, 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 and he should be he should be disqualified, you know, under the plain text of the 14th Amendment, Section three. And, you know, and Judge Ludig's, you know, completely on point, very basic, fundamental, strict textualist analysis. But I think the constitutional avoidance argument actually becomes helpful when it comes to Trump's absolute presidential when it comes to Trump's absolute presidential immunity argument because they could similarly say that they want to avoid getting to the question of of absolute presidential immunity even though we know that Trump doesn't have it by focusing on the Midland asphalt case and basically saying there's no you know to speed it up and to get the case to trial just say they don't have jurisdiction to even hear it because it's a improper interlocutory appeal and there was never jurisdiction to hear it. It should go to trial before the district court, you know, before the district court. And then um, we'll see what happens after there's a conviction. We can get at the, you know, the broader issues. And then eventually they would find, of course, there is an absolute presidential immunity. Boy, was that the most dangerous and talk about fascism plus idiocracy i mean you have a lawyer arguing that a that a president can order uh, navy uh, judge, Lu uh, judge ludic clark i had judge ludic on my episode 189 and he saved america from colorado and uh, don't you think it's good as a litigator ben that colorado is forcing the u.s supreme court to make a call right isn't this a good way to keep the pressure on those guys hey Come on, <laughs> the Nuggets are going to win. It's, it's just like when the <laughs> Nuggets got beat by the Nets from Long Island back in the day. John Bannock was the ref, and he he really rigged game six. Uh, my father was convinced of it. I am too. But you came to Colorado. My God, you know who's taking notice of you? President Joe Biden. What about your trip to Colorado? You didn't come by to say hi, but you did talk about our Bobo and nobody undresses Bobo quite like the Midas Touch Network. Tell us about your latest Colorado foray. And again, that's to me when we talk about Lauren Boebert's not conservative. Just because she repeats it over and over again that she is doesn't make it such. And when people say she's con you know a conservative or a, a far right conservative, like she she isn't. Like like that's not conservative. That's that's not what, what what she stands for. Isn't about being a Republican. What she cares about is her. She cares about Lauren. Can I Boebert. just say? Can I just say? Because I'm a native Denverite. Denver's a progressive city, but not that progressive that you can do that in the aisle of a theater watching Beetlejuice. It's a family show. Okay. As, as, as you blow vape smoke into people's faces, yes. it's just like what and, are you and even flip them off. And, and, and then lie but, but, about it afterwards. 
you know, but right after that interview, you think, you think about when that interview was released, like, I forget the exact date, but we're talking about early December, maybe December 1st, that interview, that interview was out. And, and really that was, you know, I think it will be looked back, maybe not that specific interview, but like when President Biden really was like, all right, I'm, I'm ready to go gloves off. Um, I'm going to start transitioning from like, I got to get inflation under control and deal with the economy. And, and, and I got to start focusing on this election. Um, and I got to start focusing on, you know, public sentiment. And I got to really start focusing on perception versus reality. And I gotta, and I gotta go out there and I gotta make sure that people know the benefits that have come from my policy. So I think all of that may be, um, you know, you know, right around that period or maybe shortly thereafter, Biden was kind of in that mindset. But like, you know, the gloves were off. I mean, Biden went to Pueblo, Colorado, which was Lauren Boebert's district before she abandoned it. And, and she abandoned it, what, four weeks after that interview. And I went to the big windmill factory out in Pueblo, which has gotten a lot more jobs there. And they're building a whole second factory as a result of money from the uh, uh, Inflation Reduction Act. And, you know, I, I showed President Biden just the types of things that she was saying, you know, and like, hey, what do you think when she says this? You know, and she basically, you know, mocked the Inflation Reduction Act. She mocked the jobs that were going to her district. And, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's like President Biden's recent speech where the more President Biden talks about democracy because the other side doesn't seem to have any actual policy anymore. It's just what can they do to troll him? Like they go all in to support the insurrectionists in response. They're hostages. We love them. They're great people. Peaceful patriot. You know, they, they say the most ridiculous and absurd things, and you can draw that contrast. So when we interviewed President Biden, I, I just wanted to show him the video, ask him about why he was there. But I wanted to do it in a very uniquely Midas way, you know, which was very kind of conversational and have people just just see what he's like. I wanted to see what he was like. So people were learning and, and, and living it with me in the moment. But I didn't want to change. I guess the only thing I changed is I wore a suit and tie, which I don't usually do in making my videos. But other than that, it was uh, it, it, it was it was kind of normal Midas, I think, about how we how how we talk about issues. You are and, fantastic. And just... Yeah. And don't worry about the student tie. They've seen that in Pueblo, Colorado before. <laughs> but uh, you know what? President Biden looked at what you showed him and then he mocked her and he was uh -huh. bemused and he put out that video about Herbert Hoover. Donald Trump said he doesn't want to be Herbert Hoover, so he hopes the economy crashes now. Biden came back in Midas touch style saying, you already are Herbert Hoover. You have a worse jobs record. I haven't been around the guy, but recently I listened to him on a podcast with Conan O'Brien and he's sharp. I mean, is he 80 years old? Of course, but you were with him, Ben. Tell us about his mental acumen because I think it's QAnon. I've had uh, QAnon experts on my show and it's kind of an article of faith. I listened to my old uh, colleagues on talk radio, and they demonize Joe Biden. They make him sound like a doddering fool. 
I listened to him at Valley Forge. I watched his speech, uh, speech at the Charleston Church. He was fantastic. You were with him, Ben. Please tell us that Joe's okay. Yeah, not only is he okay, he's as sharp as can be. And he, here's the thing from a just even a tactical standpoint about why Donald Trump is such a loser, though, also, is that he overinflates his own ability, um, which we know, by multiples that unless Trump acts and can perform like the superhero that they try to make him out to be in the propaganda, he will always look like a failure. But because he is actually... Like everything with MAGA, it's all projection and confession. So when they go after Biden for those things, they're compensating for the fact that they know that they're supporting someone who can, you know, who 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 can who brags about putting on his pants. Like I'm not making that up. Like Donald Trump gives speeches and goes, They asked me, how do you put on my pants? I go, I put on my pants. You know, you got Donald Trump giving speeches saying, you know what, I'd rather be electrocuted than eaten by sharks. <laughs> You know, it's like it's like weird stuff like that, that he's that, that that he does every day, you know, every day at these speeches that we cover so that even from a tactical perspective, they make Trump seem like he's going to be the greatest. And then he's the worst when people actually see him publicly outside of their weird kind of cult echo chamber bubble. And then they make President Biden seem like he can barely even speak. And not only can he speak, but he's sharp as heck. And then, and then people are like, "Whoa, why didn't I see that?" And that's the, ultimately the, the 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 thesis behind Midas Touch is simply: I'm not, I don't want to give anybody an unfair advantage in my coverage. I simply want to shine a mirror about what it is that I see. And so when I see Donald Trump give a speech. That is the craziest thing I've simply ever seen, and every one of them ends up being more crazy than the next, where he brags about pulling up his pants, and he starts singing the January 6th choir song with insurrectionists, and he calls them hostages, and he brags about Victor Orban, and he talks about how he believes January 6th was peaceful and patriotic, and he sees all of that. And then I see a headline from the paper of record saying Donald Trump, you know, rebuffs President Biden's claim that he's anti-democracy or something. I'm like, why are you helping him more? Like, why don't you just say what it is that he actually said, which you as the writer, you as the reporter, are you not seeing that that's, are you not seeing that that's absolutely crazy, dangerous stuff that he's saying? You know, and then on the other hand, you know, President Biden will give that incredible speech at Valley Forge, you know, and it, by all accounts, and especially when you contrast it to the same exact thing Donald Trump was saying that day. And then you look what's New York Times covering um, on January 6th. They don't have a story on the front page about the January 6th insurrection. You have to go to page 12 to read the first story. That's what it was, the page 12, to read the first story about the insurrection. Instead, on the front cover, you have an article attacking President Biden for getting, according to the New York Times, for getting grief that uh, both sides are 
are struggling as he's trying to forge a compromise on, uh, on, on, on immigration reform at a comprehensive level. And, and that that's what you run with on your cover. You got a guy in Donald Trump quoting Adolf Hitler in speeches. And like you, your response to that is is basically Donald Trump gives a powerful response. And don't get me started on the local media. Because then when I read like, okay, well, what is, you know, the local press saying when Donald Trump gives these speeches wherever uh, we've covered on the Midas Touch Network, it basically at this point looks like AI writes it. And it's not, it's human beings, but I, the, the stories look like a identical mm-hmm. and Donald Trump shows up and the huge crowd roared and they said, Trump. Trump and he said, Joe Biden, you're fired. Like they write the same. Mm-hmm. I can tell you the exact speech. And it's like, what are you talking about? Donald Trump was in a high school in like in in, in, in like, Iowa. In, I, I remember. In, in, a, in a little high school. Like, where do you get this? Isn't it? Is it isn't even a big crowd? Oh, you had great <laughs> episodes on that. And let me brag on you because the New York Times has let us down before. By that, I mean Western civilization when they really didn't cover the rise of Adolf Hitler. But when Hit- when Trump started using uh, those words about vermin and poison blood, tell me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it one of your Midas Touch crew that picked up on that and you brought it to everybody's attention? Yeah, one of our writers, J.D. Wolf, um, wrote about it originally, you know, five, six months ago when Trump was doing that. And then again did it. Then we created this graphic. And the graphic shows all of the statements being, you know, basically quoted directly because it, it almost seems, it seems, you know, because the wording is like, um, almost identical, and I, I, I know that plagiarism is a big topic right now. It seems plagiarizing, you know, Mein Kampf. It seems like it's plagiarizing Hitler's speeches. And, and if you look at the words, it's a very strange wording of things. So it looks like, if you just compare the statements, that the sentences are like virtually identical, maybe with a slight word change here and there. So we made this graphic that we put out everywhere, you know, and we were shouting it out. And finally, finally, it got, it got coverage in those terms. And, you know, and then there was a, fortunately, a good narrative, a true narrative that was like, is he quoting it? But then the thing is, then the media kind of like lets off on it and finds another shiny object. So the dynamic has to change and, and the difference maker has to be that there has to just be some new modality of media that doesn't go with the flow, that isn't okay with the status quo, because the status quo would put us in a very precarious situation if we simply got our news from the way it's always been um, you know, you know, spread in the past. And so that's right, the mission. Yeah but, yeah, but you guys can go low too, but not too low, but let's be honest. The reason you were on Jimmy Kimmel and the momentum, and he hasn't been able to throw this back on Joe Biden, who by all accounts smells okay. You were with him. I think he smells okay, good. right? Smells, smells good. <laughs> but you, you guys started Trump Smells, and you did it with Adam Kinzinger, and you guys are masterful in making things trend on social media. 
And honestly, have you had a hit quite like Trump smells? I think, you know, there, there were, there, I, I, I can't, I can't think of, a, you know, I can't think of this off the top of my head, but I think that there were some others that were trending in, in, in a very kind of significant way. But, you know, the, the point of that is to highlight that the wannabe emperor has no clothes and to that base that worships him like that. When you hear a lot of stories from a lot of credible people who are sharing that, you know, and, and you're able to, as Hillary Clinton said, bait somebody with a tweet or a post or bait the entire MAGA community with, with that, um, it just shows you how um, unfit they are, you know, right. to be a governing party and how and, and it's just it's just another it's just another data point. But also like what we do, there has to be a f there has to be some elements, though, that are too that are funny and humorous and and true and, and, true, and true. Right. By all and accounts, true. he's got a problem that a lot of older men experience incontinence. Right. You know, and, and from a lot of the stories, it's, you know, that, that people have shared, it's something that's been around actually um, throughout the 80s, you know, and, and 90s uh, also, um, you know, which is why also, you know, and I, I, I do a lot of videos where I pay attention. I do deep dives into the connections of Donald Trump's unseemly and kind of really horrific past the same way Moskowitz highlighted a lot of this Congress member Moskowitz at the hearing. I don't, I don't shy away from that stuff, you know, and it's interesting because people will be like, well, I never knew he did that. Or I know about that, but like, no one's really put a lot of this together and said like, 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 like you, you know how he met Melania? Like, you, you realize, like, how they came into contact and they met at a place called, like, the Kit Kat Club from someone who had a modeling agency who would bring in, like, foreign women from, from Eastern Europe. And she was one of the models. And then she all of a sudden got this Einstein visa very rapidly. And, and Trump met her at the at the Kit Kat Club with the, you know, and then the guys hanging out with Trump at his New Year's party. Like, there's just a lot of, there's just a lot of uh, things. There's a, lot of, well, there's a lot of mistreatment of women. And the Epstein re revelations came out, and both those teetotalers had nothing else to do when they were in Palm Beach's neighbors or in New York. They're only biased. They like to screw strange women. The younger, the better. And that entitled uh, attitude fits perfectly with with what was proven happened at Bergdorf Goodman to E. Jean Carroll, a hero in my opinion, who has testified she got raped by Donald Trump, and the sex assault was proved in a court of law. And this son of a bitch uh, goes out and attacks her again and again, week after week. That trial's coming up this week. I'm a former sex assault prosecutor. I've also pursued these cases in my civil practice. It just makes me angry, Ben. Shouldn't the whole country be angry at the way he's treating E. Jean Carroll? That, that's, that's absolutely the case. And the way I like to frame it, as I said, if somebody behaved like this in your 
organization. Let's just say it was a small company, medium-sized company, large corporation, nonprofit, social club, fantasy football league, you name it. If someone behaved like this, they would get fired, probably have a restraining order put on them immediately, and criminally charged for their behavior. If this person worked in any organization, there would be no same thing, by the way, for Marjorie Taylor Greene. You're showing, you know, on a non-consensual basis, nude photographs of Hunter Biden to try to like sex shame him. I mean, you know, in, in, in a public forum like that, he, Nancy Mace, you know, oh while God. Hunter Biden's sitting there screaming at him that he has no balls. Like if people talked this way, the way. Republicans talk today in any other entity, you'd be fired immediately and rightfully so for cause. You'd have a restraining order put against you and you'd probably be arrested. And I like to break it down in those terms because you can't argue with that. Of course, that's what would happen to someone who behaved that way. So why is it that today that the only place that that is acceptable, which it should be nowhere, not only acceptable, but the incentive structure promotes it to the highest levels is the modern day Republican Party. Mm. And then they call themselves conservative. And I go, that's the only place where, where, where that's how you get rewarded in the United States of America. And we have to just look at it in those terms and say, no, we are not okay with that behavior, period. It's just, and again, that's not concern, you know, and then what do they do in response? They go, oh, you're just discriminating against conservative speech. That's their way to try to stop you. And that's not conservative speech. Your speech is sick. Your speech is disgusting. Your speech is criminal. That's not conservative. We're not talking about tax policy. We're not talking about administrative procedure going back to, we're not talking about any of these things that are that, that that conservatives may have views or strict textualism versus no no, no. you you are showing nudes on a non consensual basis you, you you are fondling people in public theaters growing vape smoke I'm sorry I'm not discriminating against conservative speech I'm calling you out for being disgraceful oh and that's so woke over there so woke but like to your point going back to where we started. Why there's a real momentum right now is because I think Americans, by and large, are sick and tired of that crap. And they're looking for the framework to understand what that crap is in a way because there's so much disinfo out there. And they know they hate that, but they're being fed a diet of both sidesism that there's all this craziness going on on both sides. You know, and I always go to that. I go, I go, we're talking about the leaders though of the Republic. We're talking about the people who are making the decisions over your life. But that is fundamentally where shows like yours, what you do every day, what we do at the Midas Touch Network, you know, and what other pro-democracy networks are doing will be the difference makers, I think, driven by the community of people who are fed up and who go, I'm being gaslighted. I don't want to be gaslighted anymore. And so our message to them is always, you take back your power and you can take back your power. Right, I hope And so. here's how. Yeah. You, you you make us laugh, you make us think, but you also scare the crap out of me occasionally, Ben, because you are so smart 
And you pointed out something that I'm worried about with the projection and confession, and then I'm going to let you go because you're so darn busy. But with respect to this obvious association for way over a decade between Epstein and Trump and the pictures and everything, their new defense is, oh, you can't believe those pictures. They're artificial intelligence. And before you laugh it out, Laugh it off, Roger Stone, who just caught on tape threatening Eric Swalwell and Jerry Nadler. He's starting to put out that the Dems are using artificial intelligence, which means Team Trump is going to use AI in every way possible to cheat in this election. And the GOP is giving him the keys and the nomination. It's disgusting. I can envision a day when they make fake uh, Midas Touch videos, right? Fake Ben Micellis saying things you've never said. They will cheat in every way possible. Do you anticipate that? Because you alluded to it on his show, and does it keep you up at night? Um, it, 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 is some, it is an area of concern. Um, it doesn't keep me up at night purely because nothing keeps me up at night other than making sure I'm staying on message with pro-democracy stuff, because if I, if, if any of these things kept me up at night, it, it would, it would help. It would somewhat destroy, it would be difficult to, to do all of this every single day, but the point's well taken that this is where they're going. And when I saw Roger Stone's initial response to Mediate last week, uh, when they didn't actually publish the audio, but said what was in the audio, his, his instinct right away was, I, I never did that. That was an AI deep fake. And then I think about, you know, all of the actual AI deep fakes that came out right around the release of all these Epstein documents where Trump's name is mentioned all the time. And then how you have right wing media platforming, even people like, you know, even ESPN was platforming people like Aaron Rodgers, who are spreading disinformation about people's names being on the list that their names are not on the list mm -hmm. and creating all this confusion so that when when there's this deluge of information a deluge of information where the disinformation overwhelms the true information everything's just viewed as skeptical and there is no fact anymore so it's actually the destruction of facts and data you know and information and, and I think from a perspective, though, of, you know, a lot of these like ratings agencies that like try to look at this is accurate info. This is not accurate info. This is far left. This is far right of the problem because they're buying into old paradigms of what right wing and left wing even means. So I'll give you an example, like a lot of the things that when we talk about kind of pro-democracy, constitution, insurrectionists are bad, and we say things like, if you're an insurrectionist, you're a traitor, right? We say something like that. That will be viewed through some of these agencies that are like the ones that like these like nonprofits and informal ones that go and kind of mark you as like, where are you in the spectrum of thought and info? That would put you, where do you think that puts you, Craig, if you said that right now? Far left, you're 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 lefty, right. um, you know, and it's like that's not a lefty position, that's that's a fact. Insurrection was bad, you know, and and you go through these things, 
and they and they create this situation where they're actually furthering the polarization by claiming that conservative speech is a lot of just the disinformation, malinformation, and misinformation that's put out by this modern day Republican Party, which has become MAGA. And as I always say in the closing message, I always have about the Midas Mighty community and about the pro democracy community, is I always say, Right now, let's set aside some differences we may have in, on, on certain policies and the, and the implementation, because if Americans are going to rally together to save our Constitution and save our democracy, it happens in 2024 and it happens if we unite. And that's something that I think Biden believes we're going to rally around it again. And I, I believe that, too. Right. And you are a leader. And, you know, you just showed your problem-solving skills, and I just thought about how mediator kind of sounds like Midas Touch, which, which <laughs> sounds like Ben Micellis. I am proud of you. Just as an older lawyer, I admire what you've done. Keep it up, and thank you very much for an incredible podcast. I appreciate you, um, and uh, appreciate all of your listeners, and uh we are we are in this together. Remember that. We're all in this together for democracy. Thank you, Ben. Bye-bye. Have a great one. Thank you. He's the best lawyer I know because he's my lawyer. He's Michael Bailey. I think you pioneered this mobile estate planning, and lots of lawyers are doing it now. And boy, are your clients happy and satisfied. It's convenient for the client. It certainly is fun to be able to go visit people where they are, whether it's at your house or at one of the offices, just to make it more convenient for you. And then it's more fun for me because I get to go out and about and meet people all over the place and help them out. What's the website, Michael? It is mobileestateplanning.com. What's the best phone number to call? 720-394-6887 is my direct line. Michael Bailey. That's our lawyer. Trish loves him. I do too. Thanks, Michael. You're welcome, Craig. Hey, everybody. For all of your legal needs, why not start with me? 734-7156. 303-734-7156. I've been practicing law in Colorado for over 42 years years and i know a lot of people and if i can't do right by you i can steer you in the right direction my number 303-734-7156 ask for craig craig silverman a voice for victims a voice for people with legal difficulties wow you went ahead and started drinking without me again. I toasted to you. I'm still on the wagon for another, I don't know, this part of 2024. I may have a cocktail, but not tonight. That's okay. It's I'll too drink, cold. I'll do the drinking for the both of us. How can you drink it on ice? I don't know, Craig. I mean, it's frozen out here. Are you worried about the... What is this? This is like an old, it tastes kind of smoky. Like an old 
It's See. called Old Clubhouse, and it's the only thing I could find in my house. <laughs> I think I won it in a golf tournament in the late 70s, so I hope it's good. It's probably, it was 12-year-old scotch, and now it's about 60 years old. I'm enjoying it. Thank you very much. Uh, yes. yes. It's perfectly aged troubadour. I enjoyed your new song, New to Me, Come On in My Kitchen. We've never played that one. No, it was from a, this was an album I recorded doing some blues tunes, so that's not my tune. Robert Johnson is is the author of this of this song. I was going to say it's so different from well, the way you write. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was, and I mean, this guy was, if you know Robert Johnson or if you know the blues, you'll know he was like seminal to the whole blues movement. I mean, he was like one of the main roots of blues music. We both worked hard this week. Both of us have day jobs. It's cool when I talk to Ben Myselis, who's given up his job as a lawyer for the Midas Touch Network. I just lay out this podcast once a week. Every once in a while, I put out a special, a panel show, whatever. But Ben Myselis has taken charge of a big network. They're up to almost two million on YouTube. They are a hot ticket, beating MSNBC a lot of the time. And I'm just really... Uh, admiring this guy. He's young. I feel like an elder statesman. And I wanted to talk to you about that because I hate to quote the Crips or the Bloods or anybody like that, but they did have that word OG, original gangster. Right. Right. So I'm trying to think if I'm an OG for anything, and I think I am when it comes to legal analysis in media on TV, on the radio, and now to see guys like Ben Micellis take it and run much further on a much more important issue than O.J. or Jean Benet or Kobe Bryant or whatever. You well, see what I'm saying? So I think I'm an O.G. in that industry, and you, what are you an O.G. in? Probably Boulder music, wouldn't you say? I don't know. Never thought about it in those terms. I know a lot of Boulder musicians, and it's it was a big part of my life, although I've been in Denver now for 20 years. But I've got friends in both cities, and uh, both cities are rich in, in, in you know people who love music and want to get together and play. The Troubadour plays all over Denver, Boulder, and you played Lincoln's Roadhouse last weekend. And right. I just remember up at Gold Hill, which is a great mountain town above Boulder, I went and saw you and the Vipers. It was unbelievable. And you, you said... Hey, everybody, we're a band from Boulder. <laughs> Did I? Okay. Yes. Well, I could say I'm from Boulder. I spent You're a lot an OG of, I Boulder music. All right, we'll call it that. Yes. And next Friday, by the way, if I can make a plug, Friday we're playing at a place in downtown Littleton. It's called The Alley. It's a really fun little place, neighborhood pub. Of course you can. And the song is so perfect for one. While I was doing my legal work, one day you came to my kitchen Next thing That's I, true. I know, there was an oven installed. Way to go. You Thank were in you. my kitchen. I was, helping your wife with her new oven. Yes. You do lookout remodeling. Give yes. a plug for that, too, your look regular out, job. Lookout renovation is my day gig, something I've been doing for many years. And then the song gets going toward the end, because at the start, it's it's a tumultuous lyric kind of song there's breakup there's storm coming it's raining hard 
So that doesn't fit this Arctic vortex that's going to affect the Iowa caucus and the NFL playoff games and all that. But by the end of the song, it's snow. It does sound like snow. There's that bridge that's very haunting. Can't you hear the wind howl? You know, he's yes. Robert Johnson's great. If anyone out there hasn't heard him, it's, he's he's worth. I mean, he was. I know he died very young, and I think he was murdered. Um, some people say poisoned. I've heard he was knifed. I don't know, but he was. He was I don't think he was older than 22 years old. Um, it was like a lover's quarrel kind of thing. Um, but before that time, he was able to get into a, this little recording studio, and that has become this iconic recording of, um, you know, maybe a dozen of his songs. Where was he from? Do you know? So he would have been Robert Johnson. I mean, he's the guy who went down to the crossroads, you know, Mississippi. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't know that. He's the, you know, the, 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 the old story of the blues guitar player who went to the crossroads and met the devil. And uh, they did a deal where the devil took his soul in, uh, and gave him, um, you know, artistic genius as a guitar player, as a blues player. And so he sold his soul for his guitar playing. It goes the story. This was Robert Johnson. Is that a literal place or just metaphorical? It's a place. That's actually a place that uh, people have identified. No, no, it's actually a crossroads, you know, nearby, near some. He was alluding to something that people, you know, claim to know. Um, but that's where the deal was to have taken place. And uh, it's just one of those great stories about the blues, you know. But Robert Johnson was, he was a musical genius. It's worth listening to. I guess I will. But I prefer to listen to our troubadour. Let's listen to Dave Gunders with his song, his cover song, Come On In My Kitchen. Thanks a lot, troubadour. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom, Craig. Get 
gets in trouble Everybody puts her down Looking for her good friends None can be found You better come on In my kitchen great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is, you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if, you're, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like, I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. 
Yep, and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. Craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. 303-734-7156. Hey, now, wasn't that a great show? Thank you, Troubadour Dave Kunders, for come on in my kitchen. Ben Micellis, gosh, I'm proud of you and what you are doing. Thanks for being on my show. Before we go, I want you to hear a couple more things. We talked about Roger Stone, and here's a report by Diane Falzone from Mediaite. That's property of Dan Abrams, I do believe. Dan Abrams, who covered my cases back in the day, and he's been in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. He's a reporter, a legal analyst, son of Floyd Abrams, what an individual I know Dan Abrams, and I'm proud that he's putting this out there about the scary Roger Stone. Do you follow up? Strawwell or Nadler has to die before the election. They need to get the message. I'm Diana Falzone, senior media reporter for Mediate.com. Now, earlier this week, I published a piece for Mediate about longtime Trump ally Roger Stone talking about assassinating two members of Congress. Roger Stone spoke with Cop Pal about assassinating Eric Swalwell and Jerry Nadler. In the story, I reported that Stone was caught on tape discussing the prospect of assassinating the two House Democrats with an associate named Sal Greco, a now former NYPD cop who worked for Stone on the side. Now, since the story was published, Stone has vehemently challenged our reporting, writing in a post on social media, quote, I never spoke about assassinating anyone. Fake media, I can't produce the recording they claim to have. Well, we do indeed have the recording, and we're going to play it for you now. Before we do, a quick note that this audio has been lightly edited to protect the identity of our source. But here is Roger Stone speaking to his associate Sal Greco at Cafe Europa in Fort Lauderdale weeks before the 2020 election. Your piece there, go find Swalwell and get this over with. Time to do it. Then we'll see how brave the rest of them are. You can follow up. Either Strawwell or Nadler has to die before the election. They need to get the message. And just not putting up with this again. Our source told us that this was not a one-off conversation, nor was it in jest. Our source told us Stone was talking about taking specific actions on these plans. Quote, Roger spent election day and the months prior calling for acts of violence. It was definitely concerning that he was constantly planning violence with an NYPD officer and other militia groups. 
In addition to his social media post, Stone denied ever making these comments in a statement to Mediaite prior to our publishing the story. He told us, quote, total nonsense. I've never said anything of the kind, more AI manipulation. You asked me to respond to audios that you don't let me hear and you don't identify a source for. Absurd. However, his associate Sal Greco did not deny the comments, telling us, quote, I don't think your reader is interested in ancient political fodder. It's worth noting that this isn't the first time Stone has made the claim that his comments were deep fakes. He made the same claim about his remarks in the documentary, A Storm Foretold, in which he was caught on tape talking about violence. I said the Lord and let's get right to the violence. Also worth pointing out here that Stone has a history with Congressman Swalwell and Nadler, both of whom served on the House Judiciary Committee. Stone was convicted of federal crimes in special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation. His sentence was commuted by then-President Donald Trump just days before he was set to report to prison. Nadler subsequently announced the Judiciary Committee would look into why Stone's sentence was commuted. So certainly, Nadler and Swalwell were on Roger Stone's radar. And now finally, with some trepidation, I played for you a trailer from the movie Citizen Cone starring James Woods. It is on YouTube. I urge you to watch it. Why? Because Roger Stone urged that I watch it. I told him I wanted to know more about Roy Cohn and did he know Donald Trump and Roy Cohn? And of course he did. He put the two together. It's an amazing story. He tells it on episode 156, which recounts with the actual recording of my radio interview of Roger Stone on December 31, 2015. He was pretending to be estranged from Donald Trump, but I call him on that. And in the end, I asked that question about Roy Cohn. And he told me to watch Citizen Cohn if I wanted to understand Roy. And I had to order it from Amazon at the time, and I did, and I watched it, and I thought, wow, what a creep. But that's the kind of guy that apparently Roger Stone preferred, and Donald Trump too. This is a heck of an episode. Listen to this soundbite. I played it on my last episode on the radio. That's what I did, and shortly after that, as we were coming back and I was talking, they cut my mic. You can look that up. Just Google it. Silverman, KNUS, that's the radio station. Denver Trump Radio is what I call it now, a Salem affiliate. The media is really hurting us, but not Ben Micellis, not Midas Touch. They're the best. Thanks a lot for listening. Tell a friend, share, subscribe. Apple, five stars would be wonderful with a great review. If not of me, how about of Ben Micellis? I can get great guests, and he's one of them. Thanks for listening. See you next Saturday. He was a man who turned patriotism into hatred. Are you a communist? No, sir, I'm a Democrat. A man who ruined every life he touched. Names, right? Mr. Kaplan, can you give us the names, please? Presenting James Woods in his most powerful role to date, Citizen Cone. What will you do to them, right? Well, nothing. Senator, you are missing the point. Now is not the time to let up. Now is the time to attack. What are you trying to do to me? I'm trying to make a great man out of you. 
feared by the communists. There's a war going on right now between Americanism and communism. And if you are a friend of America's enemies, then you're an enemy too. You understand me? Hated by the Kennedys. Kennedy's going to name his brother Attorney General. Our friend J. Edgar says it's going to be get Hoffa and get Cohn. And needed by the FBI. Mr. Hoover, they're FBI agents, Roy. Uh, I'm sorry? Those communists you subpoenaed, they're undercover operatives of the Bureau. Want to keep the money up. James Woods of Straight Talk and Digstown. Joe Don Baker. And Academy Award winner Lee Grant. Star in the film USA Today gave four stars. Dynamite, an incredibly powerful tale. James Woods is spectacular, said New York Newsday. James Woods is the rare actor who can go way out on a limb and never fall off, said Us Magazine. Roy Cohn. You don't want to make Roy Cohn angry. Citizen Cohn. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.